Welcome, everybody, to the Nightclub Interview Series, where my guest today is the well-known author and lifelong lucid dreamer, Daniel Love. But as usual, before we get started, a few housekeeping items. On Tuesday, September 22nd, we start our book study group, which is uh, an extensive discussion on my most recent book, Dreams of Light, The Profound Daytime Practice of Lucid Dreaming. And the day after, a five-week course begins, um, sponsored by the Open Center in New York City on Bardo's in Everyday Life, September 23rd. I'm also doing a free talk with Professor Robert Thurman on the Karmic Bardo of Becoming, and that's on September 24th. And you'll find links to all these attached to the following interview. So as for my guest today, I really had a great time talking to Daniel about his lifelong passion for lucid dreaming. He's a jewel. He offers his experience from a, a principally materialistic or mostly scientific lens, but he's also open to other views on lucidity. And I have to say, there is a lot to be said about the rigor he brings to his work. He's really clear-headed, kind of no-nonsense. From his personal experience, to his top induction techniques, to his really remarkable comments on how to handle obstacles, this interview, in my opinion, is a treasure trove of the nuts and bolts of lucid dreaming, just what you needed to know. We also spend a fair amount of time discussing the many induction methods that he discusses in his book and why it takes time and patience to become proficient in the art of lucidity. Daniel offers a really honest look at lucid dreaming, which I personally find quite inspiring. Welcome everybody, Andrew Holacek here. My guest today is a wonderful individual, a terrific author. His name is Daniel Love. I can't wait to talk to a comrade, compatriot in, in the uh, kind of adventures of the nocturnal mind. And as usual, I will introduce Daniel with a somewhat brief formal bio, and then um, we're just going to jump right in because I have a, a bunch of questions for this remarkable individual, and I can't wait. So Daniel Love is one of the world's leading lucid dreaming specialists. He's the author of the best-selling lucid dreaming guidebook, Are You Dreaming? and the inventor of multiple popular lucid dreaming techniques. Love is an onorologist, futurist, and author specializing in the teaching and research of lucid dreaming and consciousness exploration. He first came to prominence with his invention of the cycle adjustment technique, a lucid dream induction technique utilizing a structured binary phase sleeping system designed to aid in the induction of a lucid dream. So Daniel, you're over in the UK. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with us. We're, we're Absolutely excited. my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, my friend. So I, I have a lot of questions for you. Um, one in particular, of course, is, is having you unpack your, your cat technique, so to speak, along yeah. with a number of these other ones, that, which I found to be one of the real highlights of your book. But let's start with a, a little bit more informal kind of uh, on-ramp here and, and tell us what it was that got you into this world of consciousness exploration and in particular lucid dreaming? Oh, that's the, the classic get, question, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, you got to start there, right. How did you get here? Um, it's, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll make it as brief as possible. Essentially, when I was a child, um, I suffered from terrible parasomnias. I was a 
Uh, must have been a nightmare for my parents to be honest uh, I would sleepwalk and uh, not only that I'd have nosebleeds whilst I was sleepwalking so <laughs> you can imagine my poor parents they'd wake up in the middle of the night to a child screaming come and open the doors and be bloody handprints all over the walls <laughs> it wasn't much fun so uh, when I was around five or six I, I sort of thought to myself with my young mind this has to stop um, so essentially, I, I just thought to myself, I'm going to try and sort of catch the moment when I fall fall asleep. And then maybe if I do that, I'll be able to um, not have these terrible nightmares. And and that was the beginning of a long journey. So oh. sh- shortly after that, I sort of became a, a regular lucid dreamer um, throughout my, my childhood, um, explored that without knowing that it was even a thing. It became a very oh. sort of this personal world. And then I think it was in my very, very early teens, it may have been a little earlier, um, that by pure chance I received some, uh, I guess it was junk mail essentially, uh, from a, a company that was specializing in all sorts of uh, biofeedback machines. Goodness knows how they got my uh, my details. In fact, I do know how they got my details, but that's another story. Right. Um, but, it, but it was advertising LeBerge's uh, Nova Dreamer. Um, and his book exploring the world of lucid dreams and it was like a a light bulb moment ah this thing actually has a name um and so that threw me into studying it officially i suppose and and from there on it's all sort of uh, as you know you sort of carve your own path in this this industry and uh yeah for me it's always been the thread that has been with me for my entire life and i've always thought that whatever thread you can sort of follow back to the the earliest memory is probably the thing you should do with your life yeah. because that's the, the thing that, that drives you. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, what a, what a rich history. And, and so Daniel, how did, how did this expand into consciousness exploration altogether? I mean, what, 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 what were the, some of the tipping point experiences that led you to actually open your avenues of exploration even wider? I suppose lucid dreaming lends itself to questioning the nature of reality. I think that's, um, the inevitable outcome of walking in the landscape of your mind. And then you start to wonder, well, what else is there out there? And I became very interested in, in Buddhism as a, a teenager. So read up on that and attended a local uh, Buddhist monastery, um, looked into all sorts of different subjects. I, I don't want to go into too much detail with that sure. sort of thing, but um, yeah, I, I guess really it's just once you start pulling on these threads, then the universe becomes even more fascinating and you just want to know more. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much that. And so, but you wouldn't really necessarily call yourself a Buddhist, right? I mean, if you had to put a label on, on if, if there even is one, are you associated with any particular kind of contemplative, mystical, spiritual tradition? Not necessarily. I mean, I, I know I come across to some people as sort of a, a, a crazed skeptic about many of these things, but really... <laughs> Really, my my path is much more of a. Um, I'm certainly not a, a materialist, which is something people yeah. throw at me all the time. Um, but I don't really like the idea of um, what I call spiritual consumerism, spiritual yeah, okay. capitalism. Yeah. Um, the the question I always asked myself back when I was a, a teen was, uh, did Buddha charge for his teachings? Kind of thing. So I always I always like to go to the source. And I think there are so many fascinating sources spanning like, the, the various cultures on this planet. Um, and they all seem to point at similar things. Yes. And I think it's also, um, 
you have to take it with a pinch of salt because you know the the idea that we puny humans were you know primates that have crawled out of the prime primordial gunk can have sort of access to uh, universal knowledge is a little conceited perhaps yeah um but who knows so I, I like to maintain an open mind but i think um spirituality and science probably shouldn't contradict each other yeah and i would throw my lot in with science first yeah um just because i think it's the the most useful candle in the the, the dark to sort of light the way and then I mean, certainly something like Buddhism seems to match up very well with a lot of scientific discoveries. Um, so yeah. so I, I think it's just the, that this sense of an open mind, honesty, and trying to keep level-headed. I think there's a lot of risk of, um, if you go down a spiritual path, it can actually, ironically, inflate one's ego Isn't rather that, than do oh the opposite. God. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, Trump ever say talked about spiritual materialism. You know, it, it it's just... <laughs> I mean, the mind is just so sticky, isn't it, Daniel? It's like, yeah, you know, ego is just—it's almost the archetype of stickiness, and so you you get into something that's really designed to transcend the ego, and, and ego will find a, a way to subvert it, um, tweak yeah. it towards its own aggrandizement and purposes, and, and therefore you're totally stuck. And I, I think it's a, a a problem, really, not only with spirituality but with philosophy, ideologies of any sort. That there's just this propensity of the mind to glom on. And then appropriate, turn their particular tradition into some kind of absolutistic lens, and then you yeah. know, then you're you're leaving out so much of reality. And so I, I mean, I I call myself a Tibetan Buddhist, um, primarily for tax purposes, right? But it's like <laughs> I, I'm like you, yeah. I, I'll take truth wherever I can get it, and I'm a, a deep, longtime devotee of, of of science. It's a huge part of my own background. But let me yeah. return to something, Daniel, that you said at the outset that also deeply resonates with my own kind of nocturnal trajectory. And that is, you know, using the lucid dreaming arena as a way to explore the nature of reality. And so maybe talk to us a little bit about what some of your insights, discoveries, how has lucid dreaming uh, um, aroused you to the nature of reality? And, and what are some of the insights that you have gleaned from this um, enterprise? It's a, it's a difficult one to answer. Um in a way that I think would fit everyone. I, I think whenever one takes on a path into these sort of philosophical areas, um, it, it's very much an individualistic experience. So uh, one, one prime example is just how lucid dreaming has taught me to be very uh, non-materialistic. Yeah. Um, you become, I, I, I would say for me personally, experience and uh that your personal character becomes far more valuable than the things you own um because when you realize it's all just uh i mean you can experience anything you want in, in lucid dream up until a point um you know the the acquisition of wealth and those sorts of things becomes a little bit silly seems a little silly in comparison so um it's moved me towards very minimalist life which ironically in its own way i always think there's this sort of cyclical um feedback system with dreams and waking reality where your dreams influence you in one direction and then that sort of changes your life and then that changes your dreams so these days i'm living a very minimalist lifestyle but that in itself lends itself more to lucidity because the less you have the more you notice the inconsistencies in your world and therefore you become lucid more often because you're getting better at observing changes 
Yeah, and isn't it also, Daniel, that with, with less materialism, less possessions, there's less distraction? And, and for me, when I talk about lucid dream, I have a number of synonyms. You know, lucid dream is, is uh, a mindful dream. It's a remembered dream. It's a non-distracted dream. And so to me, what you're saying completely resonates with my experience that, you know, it, I don't know if you know Marie Kondo, she's really popular, you know, the, the, the gal who has all these teachings about how to clean out your closet and all that sort of thing. I think I've, I've heard of her, but I'm, I'm not familiar. Yeah, I, I, I say sometimes the lucid dreaming is, um, is like the Marie Kondo of your mind where it's, yeah, it, yeah. it strips things down. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then so you're not distracted in life and then you're not distracted in dream. And, and it's, I think it's conducive, um, not just to lucid dreaming, but to lucid living. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, th I think the two um, go absolutely hand in hand. I don't think you can really be a lucid dreamer without um, it affecting you to have a lucid life. Yeah. I think that I, I call um, a lot of the newbies to, to lucid dreaming, and I apologize to any of those listening, but there, there's a lot of lucid dream tourists. So people who yeah. are sort of drawn in by the idea of being able to dream whatever they wish, sort of this virtual reality uh, world of wonder, but then they get put off by how difficult it is to actually maintain or to, to actually do, because that's one of the big problems is it, it's, yeah. It's easy and difficult at the same time, which sounds like a massive contradiction, but as, as you will know well, it's, you have to put in a lot of sustained work. Um, and I've completely lost track of where I was going with this now. Yeah, no, that's, well, that's exactly where I, I wanted to go with this. And, and so what, what constitutes that work for you at this point, Daniel? Because obviously you have a rich history. You've got this amazing decades of momentum behind you. So how do you implement um, your efforts now? Where, where do you go as an, as an oneironaut? I mean, what sustains your lucidity track? Uh, I, I might have to ask you to break down that question a little more. So when you say, sure. well, um, as in where do I, how do I use my lucid dreams? Or well, how do well I both. Sleep? Yeah, one is, yeah, so a couple things. One, um, one is how do you practice lucidity now? In other words, is there, do you have a series of daytime lucidity practices that you engage in, for instance, something like meditation. And then when you uh, work to achieve lucidity at night, I'm, I'm very curious because, and this is what I want to focus on in a few minutes. Mm. Some detail is just what I found to be the richest part of your wonderful book where all these wonderful techniques that you articulate and then the pros and cons. But I want to come back to that in just a second. So yeah. it's more along those lines, Daniel, like, you know, just curious as, as a comrade, in arms, so to speak, um, how you work with this in your life today? Well, I would say over time, lucidity practices just become part of who you are. So many of the techniques that you and I teach and others teach are really kind of ways of tricking the mind into doing something that will lead to lucidity. So things like all day awareness, mindfulness, all of these practices yeah. should be an ongoing state they're not something that you just dip your toe into. Um, they, they should become who you are. Uh, lucidity is a state of being rather than um, this uh, uh, Taurus kind of event that you just jump into now and then. So these days it's very hard to extract what I'm doing in my daily life from yeah. my lucidity practices because they're essentially one and the same. Um, what I think is a really important uh, aspect to all of this is being painfully honest with yourself, painfully honest with others. Um, because lucidity really is about illusion. 
and uh, quite often we're getting caught up in this web of illusion and a lot of that's because we're weaving lives which are sort of partially true we have these fake images of ourselves we uh, put things on pedestals and the the more honest the more truthful you are the more down to earth the the more lucid you'll become because you're living in less of a web um so the the techniques that i and others teach i would say are tricks really they're sort of um ways to sort of snap people into thinking in the right way and hopefully that goes on to become habitual is the wrong word but um, part of who they are yeah i mean we would say in in um, eastern language you would just say karmic i mean you know habit is just the eastern or western translation of the word karma and, yeah. and so i i really i completely resonate with your with what you're saying it's it's very much a charter of my own experience where lucid dreaming really does lead to lucid living and then eventually, you know, for me, lucidity is, is, is code word for awareness, right? A lucid dream yeah. is an aware dream. And so you're fundamentally working with the, the awareness principle. And this is, I think, this is super important, I think, to emphasize to listeners because what we do in the nocturnal mind doesn't just remain tucked under the cover of darkness, right? I mean, the idea in this kind of bi-directional way or to take that, those insights, bring them into the day and, and then actually allow them to transform your life altogether. And, and then what happens is instead of a, kind of a, a negative vicious cycle, we replace that with a positive virtuous cycle where lucidity becomes more natural. That, that becomes your default during the day. That naturally extends into the night. Then also that this kind of interstate commerce way, then that feeds back into the day. And so you have this kind of bootstrapped nocturnal diurnal process where you just become more and more aware in both states. And in the Buddhist tradition, Daniel, as you probably know, and also in, in Advaita Vedanta and Nandua Shaiva Tantra, the fruition of these is to realize the ultimate equanimous nature of all states of consciousness, that, that there's a fundamental democracy or equivalence of awareness across both waking dreaming and, and believe it or not, even the deep dreamless state. And so for you to say that is, is just fantastic um, because it just bespeaks of how uh, someone who's devoted their life to this this just becomes increasingly their kind of default where in a certain sense, lucid dreaming starts to do you. It's like you. Exactly. You, yeah. It's, yeah um, it, just, it just becomes your, your kind of um, default. And so um, with that in mind, where I really, I, I, I love this part of your book, uh, by the way, for the, for our listeners, Daniel's book is just a marvelous uh, distillation of a tremendous amount of material written in a very accessible way that uh, I highly recommend. And there are, there are a couple of things here that I want to unpack with you a little bit, Daniel. And one, yeah. as a preparatory um, kind of exploration before we get into some of these techniques themselves, are what you talk about is the three pillars of lucidity. Um, yeah. And could you talk to us a little bit about what those pillars are briefly and, and their role? Why, why are these so important? Well, again, it's, um, this is something, it's a little bit of a, a brain hack. It's another way to look at huh? lucidity because a lot of the, the teachings regarding lucidity are purely psychological. So there are so many techniques about thinking your way into lucidity. And if we do that, we forget that our nature is a biological creature for example so one pillar is psychology and that's what the majority of lucid dreaming practices focuses on but another one is biology so you have to be ready to enter into rem your uh, diet needs to be good um and the, the third is is timing um 
So really what I was doing with the three pillars is just to remind people that you can't think your way into everything, that you need to remember that you're still this biological creature. You need to get up in the night and pee. You know, you you might need to get up and have a glass of water. You might get insomnia. There are all of these annoying uh, primate issues we have to deal with. And if we get too obsessed with thinking our way into things, we forget our roots, essentially. So, um, again, this goes back to the trying to keep keep our feet firmly on the ground because we're getting our heads very much in the clouds with lucid dreaming and this whole sort of philosophical spiritual approach, but it can't be apart from your data. If you, if you you turn it into something which is other, then it's never going to integrate into who you are. Absolutely. In fact, it's interesting you use that last word because in my language, Daniel, this is, um, you know, what I refer to as the integral approach to lucidity. And in fact, it's one of the books I'm unpacking now is a kind of an integral dream yoga, which is exactly the same thing that, that mm. lucid dreams, um, again, it's, it's not this absolutistic one size fits all thing, buy my one, buy my gadget, take my technique, take my supplement, and that's it. You have to cast, if you want to have these with some regularity, I've certainly discovered in my experience, you have to cast a wide net where, where you bring it through not just the interior, you know, the phenomenological thinking approach, but just like you say, the biological, the social, the cultural. Yeah. All these factors co-conspire to bring about it. And I think that's what I love about what you're doing is it's a really honest, truthful exploration where if you engage in, in, in these different strands, um, non-lucidity doesn't have a chance, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I think really what one of the, the issues a lot of people have with with my work or a certain section of people have with my work is is that it comes across very materialistic in, in some ways um, or um, overly scientific, or at least it used to, I think. And um, really that's because I, I feel that the, the lucid dreaming world is very saturated with these spiritual paths right. that are combined with lucidity, which is great. It's wonderful to have that for the people who are drawn to that and there, there should absolutely be those paths. But there's an awful lot of people out there who, when they look at that, they, they don't want anything to do with it because they don't want to pick up the, the baggage and the, the cultural identity yeah. of say a Tibetan Buddhism or, or right. any other thing. And uh, I just want to, I mean, I found this as a child and I had no idea it had a name. I had no idea that there were traditions surrounding it. And um, I want other people to have that experience. Just to- Yeah, I, I think that's really super important to this kind of secular approach that, you know, fundamentally when you're dealing with lucidity, you're dealing with it, with aspects of mind, in fact, nature of mind. And so, yeah. you know, fundamentally it's all natural. It's, you don't have to fundamentally be associated with anything. And this is where, as you mentioned at the outset, where the best of science comes into play because if a, if a science is authentic, it's as pure as you can get. Um, yeah. So see your allegiance to that. So with your permission, if you don't mind exploring, because uh, again, the strongest part of the book t- for me, I just love this section, were all those um, techniques, and I want you to specifically, I'll ask you to speak specifically about several of them because they're, I'm sure yeah. some of these will be new to our listeners, and the kind of pros and cons column that you have at the end that I thought was just brilliant. So. This is the one that you mentioned in your bio, you know, the, the cycle adjustment technique, the cat technique. So maybe let's start with that. Um, what is that? Why, why should we know about that? Um, what are the pros and cons to that one? It's, it's, a, it's a, a strange one, actually. It's, um, and t- from the outset, the honest 
thing for the listeners to take home with this is that this really isn't for everyone. It's very much for people with uh, firm schedules. So this is a, a technique designed for people who have to get up at a certain time, they've got to go to work, and it's because a lot of lucid dreaming practices involve, you know, having the chance to sleep in, which not everyone has that luxury. So the cat technique is really just about um, trying to make a structured sleep cycle work for your lucidity. And essentially, it's kind of a variation on the wake back to bed technique. Um, and I'm probably going to remember this slightly wrong because it's been a while since I wrote it. But as, as I would use it today, and I barely use it because these days I've far more time on my hands. Um, but you would train yourself for a week to get up early. Um, now, how, how much early is totally up to the, the individual. And so you, you train yourself for a new wake time. Um, and this is just to get the, the biological processes for uh, clear thinking up and running sooner than they should be. And then once, you've, once you've had that standard week of waking up early, then you go into a cyclical pattern where you go to bed at your normal time, you wake up at the early time um, and stay awake. And that's a non-lucid day. And then the next day, you will sleep into your old wake time. So essentially, when you would have been waking up on your uh, priming week and the, the night before, you sleep in. So your brain is thinking, oh, I should be waking up now. And as we know, for a lot of newbie lucid dreamers, it tends to be just before you wake up that you have that first glimmer of lucidity and then you annoyingly wake up and you have this horrible short lucid dream which frustrates people but this hopefully gives people that biological nudge just when they're going to sleep in longer so it's really a very simple straightforward approach um but it requires this very firm uh sticking to the the program because if you don't it's it's pointless it's it's hacking the mind to to trick it into never really settling into one state so this is a really a particularly applicable technique, for instance, if someone is doing like a lucid dreaming retreat or a dream yoga retreat, where you, where have, you, you have the opportunity to actually abide by regimented schedules and, and the disruptions thereof. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, for me, I think um, it first came to, to light in my mind, I think it was back when I was a student and I had very strict schedule and by pure chance some of the uh the 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 scheduled mornings were at these alternating times and i would notice that i was getting lucid on the nights that i could sleep in um and that sort of mold around in my mind for for many years and then i obviously started to think about how we can use these things so the kind of technique to be honest it's the one which people know know me best for but i I wouldn't say it's really the uh the one that's the most applicable to to the majority of people people. because it's yeah Yeah. it takes a lot of effort to to stick to these regimes and uh most people try it for a couple of weeks and get sick of it so yeah yeah you know what i sometimes say is you know these uh, these practices will eventually reveal your passion for ignorance. In other words, yes, by, exactly. But then, what I mean is, there's a, there's a certain point where you're, you're going to throw up the "do not disturb" sign, right? And, and you're yeah. gonna, you know what? Ah, I crossed the line. I'm not going to go there. So with that with that in mind, then let's backpedal through a couple of these other ones because again, I, I thought this was so rich in your book, the the fate technique. Um, 
what what can you share with us about that? I mean, oh, that's that, a, that's one I haven't actually thought about for a long time. That's the false awakening through expectation, isn't it? Um, yeah, I it, might it have works. to come back to that one. I need that, that one to. It's it's been a long time since I've used or taught that one. So maybe yeah, I'm no gonna, worries, yeah. no worries at all. So you know, there's so many of them. There's what eight or nine or ten of those. Yeah. Um, I can I can give you the acronyms for these of uh, just a jogging memory. But which ones do you? Um, find yourself teaching the most which ones would you think would be most advantageous for listeners to be aware of um, i i prefer simplicity for people who are starting out because i think okay. um it's everything i do is about trying to keep it simple and to try and tailor it to your own life so um i i'm a big fan of the impossible movement practice with imp i think i've called it in the book yeah. Yeah. which is really very very straightforward it's if you wake up in the night um it's it's a focus focused intention technique essentially so you're um you return to bed say you've got up for a glass of water such and such in the night and you you're lying in bed and you just think are there any movements that i could make but can't make because the bed's in the way so for example if you're on your back you wouldn't be able to bend your legs at the knees because the the mattress is there and it's a physical barrier or if your hands flat against the the mattress you wouldn't be able to bend your fingers very simple that that's an impossible movement so what you you do is you just imagine making that impossible movement what would it feel like and use that as your focal point as you fall into sleep and it's quite a good one because many people find it very hard to visualize visualizing is so many people complain how 99% 99% of lucid dream practices visualization and they just can't do it and I'm I'm one of them um, I find uh, auditory uh, I don't know what you call it auditory visualization and physical yeah. visualization much much easier um, and so the, actually, I'm gonna go off on a bit of a tangent this is one thing that your listeners may want to discover for themselves is find out what you're good at imagining because you might be using techniques that aren't designed for your psychology and if you're uh, an auditory auditory person look for techniques which are based around that go with your strengths because it's it's too easy to you know chase what works for someone else and this needs to be tailored yeah Um, but to, to get to get back to the impossible movement practice, sorry to interrupt. No, no, please. Um, it, it really is as simple as um, focusing on that sensation, and at some point, it will stop feeling as if you're imagining it, and feel as if you've made that physical movement, and then you know you've transitioned into the dream body, and then it's just a case of getting up out of bed, and you're you're in your the dream version of your bedroom, and from there on, do as you wish, really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I wanted to just put an exclamation point on one thing you were saying, Daniel, and that is um, the, the the notion that it's really not one size fits all. We're we're all uh, idiosyncratic beings. We have our strengths and our and our limitations. And when um, people ask me about, well, so it's so intimidating. There's so many different techniques, and and I say, well, you know, the point it's, it's not to master them all. You know, the point is to find your sweet spot. Yeah. And, and then that becomes your ticket in. And, and so at a certain point as they even say in the in the meditative traditions you know you become your own meditation instructor you you have to be like you mentioned earlier you have to be honest yeah with your own um path what works what doesn't work listen to your inner guru whatever you want to call it listen to what's working and what isn't 
and I think it's one of the reasons that, that lucid dreaming, let alone dream yoga, is considered just a bit advanced, where uh, people like you and I and others can do a little bit of hand-holding, but at a certain point, nobody knows your mind better than you do. Nobody can follow you into the dark um, better than you. And so you arm yourself, you, you fill your backpack with all these techniques, you try them out, and then eventually you find your sweet spot and, and then you stick with that. Um, so absolutely, that, yeah. that resonated with your approach also as a teacher? Uh, 100%. And I, I would even say, go as far as to say that we probably best, even though it's useful to call ourselves teachers, but I, I would say that's not really our role. Our role is to inspire people right. to, um, to take this journey and to just guide them as far as we can. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. And a special thanks to Daniel Love for sharing his extensive knowledge and expertise. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out all the other offerings on Nightclub. There's a lot going on right now. So see you next time. And until then, pleasant dreams.